before I preach, uh, Liriana, I was just thinking about this. Is this your last Sunday with us before you go? Like the last time you'll be like in the church on Sunday morning? It'd be really fun to like commission you, like, you know, bring everybody up, the board members. Okay, so at the end of the service, any board members, I'll just, I'll invite you to come up and we'll just lay hands on you and we'll, we'll commission you that way. All right, awesome, awesome, okay. I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. If I really get going today, someone's going to have to remind me I said that though, okay? All right, so, it happens, <laughs> it happens. Acts chapter 4, if you would go there. Uh, and we're going to read around verse 23. This is what's been happening. Uh, we're not reading all of chapter 4, uh, but what happened since the, since the crippled man was healed is uh, Peter and John get arrested, and they get put on, they, you know, they have to stay overnight in jail, then they get put on trial, and you've got all the religious leaders, the high priest is there. It's kind of like the same guys that crucified Jesus. And, and they're all there, and they're talking to him. What happened? Who's, whose name are you healing in? And they're like, we're healing in Jesus' name, who you crucified, you know. And, and he rose from the dead. And they're just laying it out there for the religious leaders. And so uh, th- they want to shut this down. They want to stop this testimony. But they have a big, big problem with doing that. And the problem is the 40-year-old guy that got healed, you know. The, the, the guy that had the miracle done on him, he's there, and he's 40 years old, and so they can't possibly shut this down completely. They can't prosecute, so they just give him a stern threat of, you need to stop talking about Jesus, and then they send them on their way. And then we pick it up in verse uh, 23. It says, uh, When they were released, when Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set uh, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let's pray. Father, as we we talk about this passage today, as we think about the prayers that were offered that day, that, that day when Peter and John came back from the religious leaders, maybe they were shaken up a little bit. I don't know. 
But we certainly know you shook things. You shook that place up. And so we want to be shaken up today. We want to see your spirit work today. We invite you to say what you want to say. I pray you'd use me for that purpose. And encourage our hearts, challenge us to be a prayerful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, you have notes in front of you, and I knew this was going to happen at some point. It was just bound to happen at some point. Um, I rewrote this thing last night. So you can just throw that out, you know. You could just, you, no, no, there's, there's good announcements on the other side. But I, I really, I, you know, I really was thinking about, like, what I was preaching, and you're going to hear a lot of what I already planned to say, but I kind of expanded it a little bit to, to incorporate a few more things that I was thinking about in the text yesterday. So, uh, there you go. It's going to be even better. All right. So, but as you're, as you're looking at your notes and you're like, I don't know where he's going with this. Uh, it, it's okay. I don't know either. So, um, <laughs> I want to ask the question today: What makes for a powerful prayer gathering? What makes for a powerful moving of the Holy Spirit kind of prayer meeting or, or, or prayer gathering? What makes a really good one where? where you're praying and the person next to you starts praying and you start like opening one eye because you can't open two because that wouldn't be right, you're praying. And, and you start like looking around like, what's going on, you know? Like, did something just happen? <laughs> and uh, I, I want to kind of get at that question today because when the disciples prayed, uh, and, and I love that we're not told who prayed, they're kind of like just, you know, the, the, Peter and John came back and they just started praying, they had this prayer meeting, and it says the place was shaken. There was kind of like this earthquake sort of thing happening. And if you want to know, if you were a first century Jewish person and the place is shaken, here's how you probably would have understood it. You might have thought of Exodus. We can pull that passage up. Exodus 19.18, you know, Moses on Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So if you're praying and things start shaking, you're probably thinking, Mount Sinai, maybe, you know, like Moses is there and the whole place is shaking and the law is being given. God showed up, you know, and, and so there's also Isaiah. Maybe you would have thought of Isaiah if you were praying and the place started shaking. And this is Isaiah. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah, you know, in the presence of God and everything's just shaking. And I want to be in a prayer meeting like that. Right? Like, like that's the meeting I want to go to. If, if you can advertise, we're going to pray today, and things are going to get shaken up, I'm going. I, I'm going to be there. Any of you ever look around when someone gives their life to Christ on Sunday morning? Like, who is that? Like, who, who did that? You know? Like, you just want to know, like, what's God doing? Things are happening, and I want to be a part of that. Um, I want to be a part of that, personally. I want to be there when the place gets shaken. I want to get shaken up. I don't know about you, but, but I want God to shake me like a rug and get rid of the dirt. You know, I want that. I want to get shaken up so much that I can say whatever I need to say and do whatever I need to do in Christ's name. I want that for me. I want to be shaken up. So what makes for an earth-shaking prayer gathering? I'm not preaching in the sense of, if you do A, B, C, and D, voila, Holy Spirit. You know, like, that's not how it works. Some people have uh, 
written books on, like, you know, how do you have a revival? Well, you do this and this and this and this, and boom, revival, you know. Um, but revival's a movement of the Holy Spirit, and, and you can't quite control him, you know. If we could control him, we could control the wind, and you can't control the wind. You can't make it blow here or there. It doesn't work that way. The wind does what the wind does, and when the hurricane comes, you can't stop it. You can't tell it to go here. And the same is true of the Holy Spirit. You can't tell him what to do. You can call out. You can ask. But he's a person, and he's going to do what he's going to do. Okay. Um, I just want to point out some things. Um, and, and as I preach this, I'm assuming that you know Luke put this prayer in the Bible on purpose. Like when Luke wrote Acts, I don't know what all the prayers they prayed that day when, when John and Peter got out you know, from being with, on trial. I don't know what all prayers they prayed, but Luke wanted us to have this one. And he wanted you to know that after they prayed this prayer, things were shaking. The Holy Spirit was moving. People were full of the Holy Spirit. So it's like, take note of this prayer. Okay. God's in the building. Um, number one. Uh, so what makes for a really great prayer meeting? Number one, intense opposition. You ready for that? I want to go to that prayer meeting where we're getting so opposed that, that our leaders are getting put on trial. That's not fun. Have you ever been threatened with legal action? That's not fun. And so for the religious leaders to gather together and have a big trial and have Peter and John there, and yes, I know, the miracle happened so they couldn't prosecute them. They can only threaten them. And there's more to come, of course. We're going to keep going and act. There's more to come. But you want a really, really, really great prayer meeting? Then have somebody opposing you. Have somebody coming against the church. Have somebody hating what you're doing in Jesus' name and, and hating you as well. That, that makes a great prayer meeting when you know people are coming against you. One of the, uh, one of the uh, great lines yesterday, when, after we do No Regrets, the, we, we men, we always go out for, to eat together and we share stories and, 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 and it's good and, and we talk about things that we learned that day. And one of, one of the lines that was mentioned I think that's very important is um, somebody said in, in, in the uh, No Regrets conference, the grace always runs downhill. And if you think about that, if it's running downhill, then I receive it in the valley, don't I? Don't you? That you can be at the low point and grace is coming downhill to you. And when the intense opposition comes, God's people gather together and there's a fervency in their prayer. There, there's something going on. Uh, I'll show it to you in uh, verse 24. If you look at verse 24, this is where I get this whole idea. It says, uh, the friends were gathered together, and when they heard it, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. When they heard it, what did they hear? They heard that there's opposition to the, the proclamation of the gospel. There's opposition to the church. They heard that and said, there's people coming against us. We have to pray. We have to pray. There's people coming against us. And, and I guess in a very practical way, you know, just, just looking around like how, how we think, uh, of course it's that way. Not only is God that way, but aren't we wired that way? That there's, there's something when, when you step out, when, when you go into something and there, there's, there's opposition, it does ratchet up the intensity, doesn't it? 
Um, as much as I like seeing my favorite team win ball games, there's something extra fun when it's a close one, you know, when there's intensity to it. And, and people, people say that after the game. That was a great game. It was a nail-biter. It was so close. It could have gone either way. You know, blowouts are fun when your team blows somebody out. I, I understand that too. But, but really, if you saw that every time, you might not even watch because it'd just be like a foregone conclusion. There's times when you look away and say, I don't even need to watch any more of this. It's done. It's over at halftime, right? But, but you want to see the intense games where it's like two great teams coming. Can you tell it's Super Bowl Sunday? I'm preaching, you know. Um, two great teams going at it together, and you want to see a close one. You know, if the Patriots are up by a gazillion points at halftime, I, I'm done. I'm not watching. I can't take any more of that, you know. I'm done. But, but there is something about when, when the opposition is strong, it grabs our attention and it causes us to call out to God. And, but the fact of the matter is, we, we probably don't want that. We don't want the opposition. And yet the opposition shakes us up enough to pray in powerful, powerful ways when we see what's coming at us. Don't want it, but maybe we do actually. Okay, number two. Uh, you want a really great, powerful prayer meeting, then be of one heart and one soul. If you look at 24 with me, this is, again, this is the people here. When they heard it, they lifted their voices. What? They lifted their voices together. So I don't know who prayed. It doesn't say Peter stood up and prayed among them, or John said, I got one ready. It doesn't tell us who prayed. It just says the friends were gathered and they prayed, and apparently this either summarizes the prayer, or somebody stood up and said a closing prayer, or maybe this was a written prayer that somebody had written for the occasion. But whatever it is, they were together. Their voices were together in this. One of the things I loved, 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 one of my favorite memories of my high school years was being part of our teen choir at church. And... There's like 60 of us in the choir. And uh, I'm not saying we were good, but we were on TV. Okay, I'm just, just putting it out there. We were on TV. We, we had a Christmas uh, uh, musical thing. And, and yeah, mostly it was adults. I get it. They were singing. But we had a couple songs we sang, and it was on TV. You know, And we went on choir tour and sang in churches. And, and I love that because you know, it's all of us, and we're singing together. And people are like responding to it. They're loving what we're doing. And I think that's how it is in prayer. When you're all praying, you're all praying to the same sheet of music. You're all praying in unison. And maybe it sounds different. And maybe you're saying these words and I'm saying these words. But you do get the sense that we're all in this together. And we're all praying for the same purposes, the same things to happen. For the kingdom of God to advance. We want to see that. We're of one heart and one soul. And so look at what later, um, look at what happened after the prayer meeting, now, now the Bible's already told us this before. Luke's already told us this, but he emphasizes it again. If you look at 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And nobody said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So, so there, wasn't, there wasn't needs because people said, If I have more than I need, I'm going to help you with it. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of oneness that was going on in the first century church. So are we surprised 
when they had powerful prayer meetings, when they were all getting along so well. Now, don't worry. We'll get to some of the opposition. That There are harder things coming. I think next week is uh, the, the, the couple that Ananias and Sapphira, you know. So it's not to say there's not going to be hard things coming, but, but within the church is what I mean. But within that church, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly there's a oneness there. Hard to really pray with people that you don't like. You know? That's hard. Hard to pray in unison with people that you are bitter against. So just to say, the more and more we as a church are one and we're working out our conflicts, we're going to see more powerful prayer. And we're going to see more powerful movements of the Holy Spirit. But it starts with the oneness of us. I mean, we know we're one. Christ made us one. But do we act that way? Do we love each other that way? Are we one heart and soul? If you can pray with somebody that you've been at odds with, that's a great indication that you're in a much better place now. That you can be with that person and pray with them. When you can pray for a person that doesn't like you and opposes you, that's a great indication that you're reaching out in love through prayer for that person. It's hard to pray for people that don't like you and make it known. That's a hard thing to do. But we're called to do that, to pray for our enemies. When we're one heart and one soul, there is a power that's unleashed in that when we pray together. Thirdly, Powerful prayer meetings have an enlarged view of God. An enlarged view of God. Yesterday, um, boy, it was a great example. It was Chip Ingram, Pastor Chip Ingram. And he was preaching and he had us all close our eyes. And he asked the question, right before you start talking to God, how do you perceive him in that moment? Who is he? Father? angry guy who's ready to catch you doing something wrong? You know, who, who, who is he when you start talking to him? And look at what the disciples say about God here. They, they say, verse 24, Sovereign Lord. Now, that word is, um, the word for Sovereign Lord is only used twice in the whole Bible. Luke does it both times. And it, and it really does imply this, he's ruling over everything. He's got everything in control. He says, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then they say this awesome thing. They quote Psalm 2. Did you see this? Verse uh, 25. They quote Psalm chapter 2. Why do the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves up. The rulers gather together against the Lord, against His anointed. And they pray Psalm 2 because they recognize that, that the rulers are opposing Jesus. They recognize that when Peter and John were before the religious leaders... The religious leaders weren't opposing Peter and John in chapter 4. The religious leaders were opposing Jesus. That, that's who they were against. And they have this enlarged view of God, and they quote Psalm 2 in their prayer. And, and, and what they do with Psalm 2 is kind of cool. I just want to show it to you. They say, why do the Gentiles rage and the rest? And then in verse 27 they say, uh, in this, for truly, you know, they're like, yeah, we saw Psalm 2 just a little while ago. For truly in this city we're gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, 
Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So here's what they do. They say, why did the Gentiles rage? Well, they're kind of like, the Gentiles are like the Romans that crucified Jesus. They're raging. And the peoples are plotting in vain. Who are the peoples that are plotting in vain in Psalm 2? Well, it's, it's the Jewish leaders. They're plotting. The peoples are plotting. And then the kings of the earth set themselves up against the anointed. So, so the kings are like King Herod. King Herod set himself up against Jesus. And then lastly they say, um, it's the, uh, the rulers are gathered against them. And then, then they're thinking Pontius Pilate. He set himself up when he caved into the people and sentenced Jesus to be crucified. So they read Psalm 2 and they're like, that's what happened. Gentiles, or the, you know, the Romans set themselves up. Herod, Pilate, Jewish leaders, just like Psalm 2 said. And you know what? It says a couple of verses later in Psalm chapter 2. Maybe you remember this because it's one of the only times the Bible ever says this. It says, the Lord laughed at them. He laughs at them. I mean, what they're praying is like, God, there's a whole lot of people that don't like what we're doing. And you're laughing at them. Because they have no chance of actually stopping you. And when they crucify Jesus, that was according to your plan. That's what they pray here. They say it in verse... um, Where is it? Um, 28. They were doing whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They moved A. A was part of your plan. They did B. B was part of your plan. We can't lose. You laugh at them. Do you know who you're talking to when you pray? Do you understand Him? You ever found yourself... uh, talking to somebody from behind and then they turn around and it's not who you thought you were talking to? I hate that feeling. I feel so stupid every time I do it. Uh, what I also do, I like to do sometimes, like I try to do it, um, is I'll talk to somebody in the other room and I'll go in the room and they're not there. You know? Then I feel really dumb again. You know, It's just, <laughs> I remember one time my kid was, one of my kids were talking across the restaurant to somebody and they thought it was someone from youth group, and the, and the kid turned around, and it wasn't them, and they're like, oh, and they hit it underneath the table, you know? And I'm like, that's what I want to do when I say something to somebody that's not really them. Like, you know, hi, honey. Oh, you're not my wife. I'm sorry, you know? I want to hide under a table, you know? Because I'm so embarrassed. You've been there, right? You do this too sometimes. Like, the back of the hair looked about right, and then Christy will say, no, it didn't look like my hair at all. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, fine. Fine, I don't know. <laughs> um, just an idiot. Uh, but I, I, think, I think if you know who you're talking to when you pray, it changes the way you pray. It changes how often you pray. It changes what you pray about. If you actually think about how big God is and how he's got everything in his hands, it just changes the way you pray because I love how they pray. They have three prayer requests, and I think, I think their view of God influences their prayer requests. There's three of them. I just want to show you the first one real quick here. Um, It says, uh, verse 29, And now, Lord, we have some requests for you. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. That's the first request. Like, all they say is, you see what they're doing? See what those people are doing? Take note, God. I mean, it's not not in like a condescending way. It it really is in a humble way. Like, God, your plan is going to work out. Nothing can stop you. See what they're doing? You laugh at that. So just, just notice what they're doing. That's all we need you to do. Just notice what they're doing. It's kind of like when, when, when you're, when you're uh, kids. Who broke the window? 
I mean, no, you don't even have to say. You just kind of point, you know. Uh, it's kind of like that. God, see him? See him? That's all we got to say. Like, do you have a view of God that big that you can just, you can just name the opponent and say, I trust you. I trust you. And just keep going. I mean, you, you can pray with more words. That's okay, too. But I'm just saying their view so impacts, their view of God so impacts their prayer that they pray in ways we don't even think to pray usually. God, do you see them? All right. Glad you do. I'm moving on. They have this huge view of God. Number four, um, the advancement of God's kingdom. You want a really good prayer time? You pray about God's kingdom advancing. You pray about the lost. I am not against praying for healing. We did that last week, and people came up with physical needs. The Bible tells us to pray for each other in those ways so we can be healed. Very biblical to do that. But do we also pray just as passionately, if not even more, for the advancement of God's kingdom? Because if you think about it, our illness is finite. You know, Sometimes it goes away in this life, sometimes it doesn't. But, but it will go away when we get into the presence of God in heaven. It will be gone. But those people we're praying for to get saved, they may not be there with us. So what's our feeling about them? How does that impact us? Do we pray for the advancement of God's kingdom? And that's what their requests do. They say, take note of the opposition. Secondly, they, say, they pray for boldness. Uh, they say, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Just help us, help us do it well. That's one of the most practical prayers you can pray. God, you know people in my life that need you? Please help me be bold when I talk to them. Just help me. Help me. I mean, they're praying for the same stuff we need. And then they say, uh, keep sending the miracles. You know, the signs and wonders while you stretch out your hand to heal. And, and, and they're, not, they're not praying for miracles, I believe, just for the sake of them. They're not... They're not Praying in the sense of God has a personal miracle for you today. You just need to claim it. Go out there and get it. It's for you. It's totally not a, it's not a selfish, self-centered prayer at all. It's like, God, if you keep doing miracles, you're going to keep drawing people to yourself. Because people will see how great you are. There's a very God-centered, God-glorifying prayer for miracles. Again, it's not bad to pray for our own healing. That's not selfish. I'm not saying that. But, but when they're praying for miracles there, I do believe what they're saying is, we want to see Jesus exalted. We want to see the kingdom advance. We recognize that even though Jesus ascended to heaven, sometimes when we think of Jesus ascending, what we think of is he's now just watching us up there, you know, just, just kind of, you know, but, but he's ruling from up there. I mean, the idea is his kingship has begun. He sat down next to his father, and now he's ruling through his church. The kingdom's spreading. It's not stagnant. It's not status quo. And finally, I'll close with this idea, um, Holy Spirit filling. You want to see a great prayer meeting? You're going to have people filled up with the Holy Spirit, shaken, shaken up as the Holy Spirit shakes out the rug and the dirt comes out, as He shakes you up from complacency. 
you need a shaking. I need a shaking. I need a freshness. And so it says the Holy Spirit filled them. And they went out and they proclaimed the word of God boldly. Now, in honesty, uh, Peter and John were also filled with the Holy Spirit when they testified to the religious leaders. It says they were full of the Holy Spirit earlier in chapter 4. So the filling of the Spirit led to the opposition, which led to the prayer, which led to more Spirit filling, a freshness. It's not like Peter and John could say, look, we were full of the Holy Spirit earlier today. We don't need any more, you know. But, but, but they prayed for more of it, more of it. So wherever you are, however advanced you are, however much you know the Lord, however much you love Him, you pray for that fresh feeling. God, here I am. Take control of me. Fill me up. Control me. I need more. I need more. Shake me up. Shake me out. Holy Spirit filling. A few practical words, and then we'll uh, pray and commission at the end here. Um, Practical things we can emphasize this uh, for this week of prayer. Um, I, I'd love to encourage you to pray every day for the church and its ministries this year. You know, make this week matter. That's number one. I think that's number one, right? Um, pray this week. I mean, spend 15 minutes a day just lifting up church ministries, people, needs, the advancement of the gospel. You may find that you're surprised that usually you pray for uh, physical needs, and maybe you're not praying enough for spiritual opportunities and needs, and God's di- redirecting you a bit, and you pray powerfully for those things. Would you pray? I have a list of prayer requests. I'm going to bring them out for cross-training. If you want a copy of that, you can come get one from me. Um, we'll, we'll probably put them on the back chairs back here after the service. Number two, um, would you come to the prayer meeting before church on Sundays? 8.30, my office, I'll be there. Would you come and pray for what happens on Sunday here? I love what happens on Sunday here. I mean, I can't believe what happens on Sunday here sometimes and the things that get said and, 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 and just the way the Spirit works. Um, we got to call out for those things to happen, though. we got to ask for those things to happen from the Lord. So uh, every Sunday, 8.30, if you feel inclined, I'd like to encourage you to feel inclined to come out and pray in my office. It's only about 10, 15 minutes we pray together, but I believe it sets up everything to come. And maybe if we start going long, I have to back it up in the morning. That would be cool too. Um, Number three, uh, we'll keep incorporating times of prayer for one another in worship services. You know, the the board had a retreat on Friday night, and one thing that came up in our retreat was we just got to do more and more of that. People can come forward and receive prayer. Like last week, we got to do more of that. So um, plan on seeing more of that in our worship services. Uh, Fourthly, if you're in a community group, we'll be launching those in a couple weeks. Set aside time to pray in your community groups for one another. Don't just talk about the study. Make sure you save ample time to pray for each other. You know, if you've got to do that at the beginning because you always go long, maybe you've got some talkers in your group, you know who you are. Um, If you've got some talkers in your group, maybe you've got to do that at the beginning. That's why we pray. At our board meetings, we pray at the beginning, not at the end. We pray a closing prayer at the end. But when we pray for needs and people and kingdom work, we pray at the beginning. Because we may never get to it at the end, because we're talking. Um, Fifthly, if you're sick, I want to encourage you, just like James says, would you call the elders and we'll come to your house? I'll anoint you with oil and we'll pray for you. I mean, take advantage of that direction that James gives us and call the elders. We'll come, we'll pray for you. All right.
that's what I want to say this morning. Um, I, I want to say in closing then, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, that's where it all starts. Your first real, vibrant prayer can be, Jesus, save me. You died for me. I need you. And I invite you to do that if you never have. All right. Liriana, I want to pray for you then. And